0: Don't sell yourselves short. Honestly, the the stuff that you have done in the police service is incredible. And the the value that it brings out in the big wide world in any kind of business consultancy or some of the incredible work that you're doing could be life-changing.
1: If you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Andy Lavron. Welcome to the Blue Light Leavers Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of the Blue Light Levers podcast. So today I'm talking to Cole Mahay. Now, Cole is a genuine force of nature and inspirational leader. He completed 30 years in policing, reaching the rank of temporary superintendent. But since leaving in 2015, he's gone on to do some extraordinary things. He delivers leadership training to senior execs and organizations globally, helping them to build highly emotional and social intelligent cultures, really focusing on inclusivity, communications, and performance. He's the founder of the Create and Speak program, and also he's the founder of Ignite Your Inner Potential Events. He's an author, he's the co-creator of a new policing drama series, and he's also a podcast host. To be fair, there's not a huge amount that he doesn't do. You're going to really enjoy this. Let's go over to Cole now. Hi, Cole. It's fantastic to have you on the Do You Like Leavers podcast, really honored, and uh, yeah, it's just it's we obviously connected uh, a little while back through LinkedIn and um, been in contact since and you're doing amazing things and uh, so it's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here.
0: Oh, it's great to be here Andy and uh, you know I've been watching you and it's always great to see somebody who's left the job and is doing incredible things going forward so well done to you too. Oh,
1: Absolutely, thanks mate, that's really kind of you. The, um, it'd be really good for our listeners to understand a bit more about uh, who you are, a bit more about your background so if we, if we can touch, if we can start where you are now, just briefly, and then we'll go through your policing career. Because so I think it'd be amazing to, <coughs> for people to understand what you're doing now and then to actually look at what you were doing prior to that that's led you this, down this path.
0: Absolutely. Um, so what I'm doing right now is uh, I work with all sorts of organisations um, from the health sector, police services. I still touch base with a few police forces now. Um, I I work with the private sector right up to the oil industry over in UAE and Qatar. I've had a bit of work there. Uh, but my sole focus really is, is my passion, what drives me, and that is around quality leadership. What does that look like? Uh, one of the lessons that I took away from policing was around how to help organizations create a, a culture where people come to work and they feel valued, seen, heard, and appreciated. So... I guess over the years, really, I've started challenging all the things that I used to believe around what leadership looked like and, and even things around diversity and, the, the you know, the, the conversations that we've so become used to having around diversity. I now challenge those conversations uh, and uh, and for me, you know, for example, when it comes to diversity, we've, we're we so used to chasing targets, we want black, brown faces, female, you know, uh, a sexual orientation, we want LGBTQ community within the organisation. And that's all well and good. But my argument now is, well, if they all talk with the same voice, saying the same thing, then has that, how's that improved either the service that you deliver or the culture that you, you operate in? And a prime example of that is the Conservative Party right mm-hmm. now. Obviously, we're going through incredible di- uh, division in the Conservative Party, which happens to be the government of the UK, uh, and uh, if you look at their front benches, you've got a whole rainbow of colours and diversities and intersectionalities. But when you listen to them all talking around the debate – uh, and we've been seen the leadership debate, they're, they're all saying say the same mm. thing. They all come from privileged backgrounds. They've all been to similar schools. They're, mm. they're all multimillionaires. So how can they possibly relate to the everyday people? And it matters not to me anymore whether our next prime minister is brown or black or female or male. What matters to me is that they're a good leader. Yeah. And one of the things that we've judged Boris Johnson on and why he's had to leave the leadership is not on his leadership per se in terms of those areas around diversity or the actions that he's taken. We've based it on his morals, his ethics, his values, his integrity. That's what everyone has been measuring measuring uh, Boris Johnson on. Mm -hmm. And I think going forward, that's how we are going to be measuring leaders uh, of the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, I'm really passionate about creating the right kind of culture wherever we go. Uh, and I get to work with incredible organisations to help them do just that. That's
1: brilliant. Thank you for that. That's, a re- that's an amazing intro. And I think um, I'll go into a little bit later on some of the challenges around that that you might think. But it'd be really good for people to understand your policing background, Colin, how you've ended sure. up doing what you are now, because it's it's been fantastic to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm so fortunate for the journey that I had in the police service for its ups and its downs and its twists and its turns um whatever I might say about the police service now, I have to remind myself that it was my number one passion in life. You know, I wanted to be a cop from the age of eight, uh, 10 years old. I remember uh, sitting on a, a brick wall down the street in my in, in my little street in Wolverhampton, which is two streets away from the Molyneux Stadium. Uh, and I, every other Saturday, I'd be sitting on this brick wall, watching thousands of people trekking towards the stadium. But actually, I was looking at the coppers. I was looking at the big burly police officers in their tunics and how smart they looked and what that big hat stood for. You know, I've still got a big hat here and a cap Mm, there, you know, and I'm so proud of the journey that I've had in the police. service. I've learned so much and I still think that we still have the best police service in the world. And, And there's whatever we say about our police service. And there's a lot that we need to improve, you know, that, I just uh, saw a post uh, this morning on LinkedIn from the Police Federation talking about uh, pay disparity and pay increase. And I said, look, your argument has become so stale because if that's all you're ever going to think about, you'll never improve the police service. Mm. The context of policing has changed so much. It's not a simple case now of saying that police officers deserve 3%, 5%, 6% pay increases because the complexity of policing has changed so much. We've got police officers who do more dangerous jobs than other police officers who may sit in offices. We have civilians who are now investigators and put themselves at risk. What about the pay disparity there? And aside from all of that, as much as I think police officers and police staff need to be paid more uh, uh, and there needs to be an equilibrium in, to, in terms of the pay. We need to get down and sort the culture out in policing. We need mm-hmm. people to feel psychologically safe. We need people to feel empowered and trusted to do their job because our police officers are incredible. And uh, and I'm still very, very passionate about that. Mm-hmm. So I joined policing at the age of 16. Uh, I, uh, I was a cadet for two years. I Moved away from home in Wolverhampton and moved to Derbyshire from the age of 16, never moved back. Uh, 10 years as a cop uh, doing all the frontline duties that you do you know two years walking on the beat and we had this old-fashioned sergeant who would never let you get into a car so i really cut my teeth mm. and then uh, I, I was uh, i was made a pedal cycle beat officer and this is the days where we didn't have any of these fancy mountain bikes that caught the, the, you know the, the, the way as much as a feather these were like half ton uh, mountain uh, push bikes that we had I remember flying down the streets uh, wearing my cape uh, <laughs> for two years and uh, the local uh, the criminals used to call me Batman because my cape used to be flying out. And then, of course, I went on to rural policing and response policing and, and a bit of CID. But um, after about 10 years, somebody said to me, you know, with all the wisdom that you've accumulated and all the acting sergeant duties that you've had, we actually think that you'd be a good sergeant. Why don't you become, why don't you go for the sergeant's exam? And I reluctantly sort of did that. But uh, the moment I got a taste of leadership and how it feels to positively impact on a group of people, mm. it was like a, a moment of awakening. And then I just went on that leadership journey. I was, uh, you know, I got to a really great position of being a superintendent and having, and just before I retired six months as temporary uh, chief superintendent I've pretty much been in every aspect of policing. I've been a gold commander. I've uh, I've been a CBRN commander. I've been a a public order commander. I've pretty much done it all in policing. I was a football match commander. And I'm glad I did all of those things, as stressful as they were at the time, because of the responsibility that you have. Uh, But it's given me a real good sense of what policing is. And Mm. now... You know, aside from all the d- things that I do, I'm writing some police dramas. BBC are filming a police drama right now up in Scotland called Granite Harbour that I co-created. Um, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going down to London to do some filming for another programme uh, around uh, interrogations. This is the fun stuff of what mm-hmm. I do. What yeah. I actually want to do is change cultures and uh, and leaders. Mm-hmm. So that's how... My policing journey has got me to where I am now. I could not have done any of this without the policing journey.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel exactly the same in, in a lot of the areas that, and a lot of the skills that I've moved across. Albeit I now work in IT, but it's amazing the amount of, I hate the phrase, people know this, but transferable skills. But those that skills and experience that you've got from other areas and oh, other goodness. situations that you can you can take into different um, you know, different career paths, which is just extraordinary.
0: You know, the sad thing is, Andy, I've seen some really, really good police, uh, police officers and, and senior officers who have left the police service and have done nothing. Mm. They've literally, um, you know, become retired. And I hate that word because automatically it makes you feel older. Mm. Uh, and I've seen these people, they might do a bit of travelling, but they don't do anything beyond that. And you can see them becoming old in front of your eyes. You can see them having all the old old people ailments and mm-hmm. you know suffering and uh, and solitude that they 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 seem to uh, uh, experience. And I see a lot of police officers, former police officers, doing this. And I think what a sad shame because you've got so much more left inside of you. All of these mm-hmm. incredible transferable skills that you can mm-hmm. do so much with, uh, and. Uh, you know, it's a bit like dying with the music still inside of you. I I want to make sure that orchestra has has fully played when when I pass.
1: Yeah, no, I I do get that, and it's um it is difficult. You know, I, I speak to a lot of people who are just exhausted. You know, they've been absolutely, you know, beaten to a pulp. Sometimes, you know, literally. And um, so yeah, it's a real fine balance. And and um there are, there are more and more now as well that are looking to leave. <clears throat> excuse me, leave earlier. Mm-hmm um because people are now recognizing that it's not a career for life it's it's something that you know you do for a few years and actually there's there's more opportunities outside which is which is really sad i think
0: that's a really good point that you make i think the world has changed on its axis you know mm. when you and i joined the police it was one of the first things that people gave to me and they thrust it in your hand. You didn't know what you were signing, but you had all of these documents being thrusted into your hands. And one was to, one was around my pension mm. uh, to sign for my pension. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Uh, I was the same. Yeah. yeah. Somebody signed, made you sign to join the police federation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm so pleased that they did that. I, I wish they'd explained it a bit more to me, but I'm so pleased that they did that. But the world has changed. We are no longer that 30 year vocation, no. uh, that that we thought we we used to be uh, and i know there's a lot of long in the tooth police officers who get really frustrated with the next generation, you know, generation uh, uh, Y and generation Z people coming into the police service and say, Oh, they're so transient. They come in for five years and they leave. Well, Hey, that's the way the world is. It's not just in policing. This is, they, they like to taste what's going on and they want to then evolve as, as time goes on. And that's just the world that we live in. So Yes, a couple of things that I hear from policing is firstly that um, you know the morale in policing is probably the lowest I've ever heard of in my time, uh, and I've lived through some really dark times. Um, and the second thing is uh, people are upping and leaving because they want to go on to other opportunities, explore the world, explore themselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and and I think we need to embrace that. We need to. We need to understand that that's how people think, all the more reason why. If we want to retain that talent that we've spent so much money on as a police service, we need to nurture that talent. We need to create an environment and a culture where they feel that they can grow with inside the service and actually be supported and valued and all of these kind of things that are so, so important.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It's... um... And it's investment in the staff, isn't it? And we'll go go into this in a a few minutes because I do want to talk about this in in a bit more detail. But um, as you're coming up towards the end of your career, your policing career, um, did you know what you wanted to do? And did you sort of, you know, did you have an idea on the path that you wanted to take post-policing? And how did you set yourself up for that?
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I think I had a fairly decent idea of what I wanted to do. I mean, I was so passionate about leadership. Uh, And the more senior I became, the more I realized that I was different to all of the other senior police officers. So, you know, my last 10 years, nearly 10 years, uh, my last, I think it's about eight and a half years, I was a superintendent. Before that, I was a chief inspector. Uh, And within all of that, I was a silver commander for about 12, 13 years in various roles. Uh, So I got to lead a lot of people in all sorts of situations. And I watched how my peers did it. And a lot of them were so hierarchical. And what I mean by that is that they hid behind the rank and the authority that came with the rank. And I just didn't realize, I didn't think that that was the right way to lead. Uh, And the right way to lead is to inspire people to want to do and to go further. So that was always my style of leadership. And I as I saw the results that were coming from every department that I ever went into, you know, grievances were coming down, uh, sickness rates are coming down. Absences were coming down. Retention was improving. Performance was improving. As I saw that, I thought, Hey, you know, I need to research what I'm doing because I'm doing it accidentally. I need to, I need to, uh, uh, you know, become even better at this. I need to understand what it is that I'm doing that's different. So that's when I started doing all the research. And I think for the last eight years, nine years, I was going on courses secretly, personal development courses, because Mm. it wasn't really an accepted thing within the police service back then. I hope, hopefully it is now. Uh, I started learning a lot more about myself, self-awareness and, uh, and language and rapport building and how to inspire people and communication skills So when it came towards the end, you know, last couple of years, um, I'll be honest with you, I was chomping at the bit. I was ready Mm. to go. Uh, But, of course, I had to do my 30 to get my pension uh, because it gives you that security. Uh, But I literally, I I was stupid enough uh, to say to all of my superintendent colleagues that I would do all of their gold cover in the December when I left. And I also was stupid enough to say I will be the goal commander on the busiest day of the year, which is Mm. New Year's Eve. Mm. And it was a night shift. And I ended up doing that night shift. I'll tell you, that month I hardly slept. One, Mm. out of excitement. uh, And secondly, out of fear, just in case something went wrong. And I remember waking up, um, having worked till about 2 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve. I woke up like four or five hours later uh, as as a mister. And uh, on the 1st of January 2015, and realized that everything had gone, everything had shaped. And you know what? Nine o'clock that morning, I had my first client. My wow. first coaching client uh, was from Saudi Arabia. And um, I just didn't look back at all. Mm. You know, I've just been busy growing my business a bit like you. You know, you've got so many things going on. You get, you just get energized by that, and you keep moving forward. As opposed to looking, you know, every now and then I'll reflect backwards, but it's all about the forward movement for me.
1: Yeah, I feel exactly the same. Actually, it's really interesting you say that. It's um, and I'm rubbish at reminiscing as well. You know, I, mm. did, I was very fortunate, similar to yourself. You know, the vast majority of my career, I was really happy and, and loved pretty much every minute, and I had some amazing roles. And uh, um, you know, a sergeant. I didn't go as high as you, but that for me was was the best. Rank, you know, I I love my time as a skipper. I spent almost half my service as a skipper. Being
0: a sergeant was probably my favorite rank, Mm -hmm. and and I know a lot of sergeants will disagree with it. But my favorite role as a sergeant was a custody officer. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. It was the days when, you know, custody officers had had complete authority. We didn't have to go to CPS for charging decisions. You were it. And at the time, I remember I was doing a a law degree, uh, night school law degree. Uh, so I would practice my debate skills with all the solicitors, and you know it was quite fun, and they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The cops enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, probably the best rank for me was mm. a sergeant.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And you get that operational plus, um, you know, the the line management experience mm. as well. Real hands-on. I think it's a mm. fantastic role. But uh, oh, sorry, fantastic rank. But the um, it'd be really good to to understand about. The, I think there is going to be people listening to this. They think, well, actually, you know, I may not have been chief superintendent or, or, you know, climbed that high in terms of the rank structure, but I've got a load of expert knowledge. I've got tons of expert knowledge. And how would I go about setting myself up, um, you know, post-retirement either as a consultant or, yeah. you know, for coaching? How, how would you suggest that people do that, Cole?
0: Well, the first thing I would say is um, the moment you come out of the police service, forget your rank, forget what you were in the police service, because that it only applies to in the, in the service. Uh, when you and I left, we were no longer ex sergeant, ex uh, superintendent. Mm. We were Colmahay, Andy Labram. Uh, now I know so many uh, police officers who are doing incredible stuff right now. Um, I had two people who worked on my shift, and then they left uh, later on in the service, and they went to training school, and they started doing. They were trainers in the training school. Um, this. The the, the the stuff that they're doing, they're going around the world, they're working with the uh, uh, the United Nations, they're going into all sorts of countries as advisors to uh, not just policing but to the public sector in all sorts of organizations and countries. Uh, and, um, and, and they rely heavily on their policing background or their policing discipline, let's say, mm. rather than their background. Uh, I've got a really good friend of mine who, ironically, uh, I was his superintendent when he was in the latter stages of his uh, probationary period. Um, and I remember in that in those days, I think when you've got about 18 months in, you had to go and see the operational superintendent. Uh, I had no idea this was happening. I was a brand new superintendent on the area. I'd come from another department. Anyway, he was the first person that came in through my door. We were supposed to have a five, it was supposed to be a five minute chat, but we spoke for an hour and a half because I was so interested in the work that he was doing. At that time, he was studying NLP Neurolinguistic mm-hmm. Pro- Programming. Uh, and now he's doing incredible things. He left the service. Uh, because, again, it's a culture thing. He wrote a book and professional standards jumped on him from a great height because he wrote a book. I, I still don't understand how, why that happened. I don't know that maybe the the, the the nuances or the detail of the story, but he was left quite disappointed and he left the service. But what he's doing now is just incredible. He has been on all sorts of major TV programs. Uh, uh, he calls himself the human lie detector. Go and check him out. Um the stuff that he's doing, every time there's some some big event, he gets called upon by all the major newspapers and TV stage, uh, stations saying, can you analyze let's say Boris Johnson or Prince William and Prince Harry, can you analyze them and tell us what their body language is saying? Mm. So we can we can be doing all sorts of incredible things. There are people who've gone into, you know, who've gone, left the service as uh, sergeants and, and, and constables and perhaps detectives or even uniform, and they've gone to take on positions as head of security mm. or, you know, uh, um, um, events management. Mm. So honestly, I mean, I, I can't even... Put people into a bucket and say, right, as a police officer, this would be an ideal fit for you because Mm -hmm. we have so many skills. I genuinely believe that as a police officer, you can do almost anything in life Mm -hmm. because your skills are that wide. And I think so many uh, former cops sell themselves incredibly short. Why? For two reasons. One is because in policing, we're never really pushed to celebrate ourselves. We're not. We're very humble people but secondly we only think in the context of pleasing and when you leave pleasing you have to think in a much wider context and say mm-hmm. hey what skills have i got that might be it might appertain to some level of consultancy how can i improve an organization. What contribution could I give to an organization to improve their culture, their staff, in their, staffing, their yeah. security, their this or that? Uh, and you would be surprised. You will surprise yourself what you can do. And yeah. it goes beyond just security or driving yeah, and all does. these yeah. typical things that people tend to do. Uh, I, I say go out there uh, and, and you know and be be brave and be be bold.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Absolutely. Um, so you were doing some coaching. When you left, what was the next steps for you then, Colin? So, because you've done some incredible things and it'd be, it'd be great to understand and, and obviously for the audience to understand a little bit more about what you've done since.
0: Yeah, you see, when when I was envisioning leaving the service, I envisioned myself as a coach. That was it. I was going to be a coach. And when I did leave, yes, I did a lot of coaching. Uh, and I don't know where all these clients came from because I was coaching people from Saudi Arabia, from Pakistan, India, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, America, and of course, the UK. And they were just coming to me. And I don't know why. I think what it is, is we don't, we don't understand or get how people outside of policing perceive UK police officers they place a lot of trust on UK police officers. UK Policing Limited has got a good reputation, mm. despite the fact that you might, you'll get those people that are, are going to have a go to what we, are, we do or don't do as police officers. You're going to see us featured in, in, in the headlines and for things that one or two individuals might have done. And then, of course, everyone gets tarred with the same bush. But by and large, the vast majority of the world out there, when they look at UK police officers, you, there, there is this trust element that comes into it. So that's the first thing. That's very important for everyone to remember. I only realized it when after the coaching, I started getting invited to do some keynote speaking here, keynote speaking there. And it started off with, and this is what I advise everyone now because I do a lot of keynote speaking. Um, It started off just going to small networking events and and offering to do a keynote speech uh, to networking events. I remember my first one was at this beautiful little stately home. Uh, It was a networking group. And uh, around the room, I think there was 10 to 15 people and it was an awful speech. Honestly, it was awful because i it was unstructured. I didn't oh, know what I was talking about. It was just a mess.
1: Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, no, no. I was just about to ask what the theme was. It'd be really good to know the theme. But... I
0: think the theme was what the theme still is. It's about organizational culture and leadership. Mm-hmm. But I got so excited by it all. My words were all over the place. My thoughts were everywhere. And I don't. I just didn't have it structured. So, while ever they were very gracious, they said, "Oh, you know, that's one of the best speeches we've heard." Now I don't know whether it's me and my self-esteem beating myself up because I, I've always had imposter syndrome. Always, mm-hmm. I still do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know whether it was that, or whether whether it was genuinely awful, and they were just being nice. So I did a bit of public <laughs> speaking, you know, and then I got on to speak to larger groups and larger groups, and and perhaps more uh, more. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 elite groups, let's say, Um, and um, I traveled up and down the UK. I I went to Ukraine and spoke to the brand new police service back in 2016. What what Ukraine had done because of the level of corruption, they literally sacked all their police force and they introduced a new police force. So it was a bizarre experience because I remember I was speaking to all of the senior officers and it was like from the equivalent of chief inspector right up to chief superintendent. I think some of their chief officer ranks were there. But they all looked about 20. They were mm. incredibly young. And uh, And I remember that was my first taste of media because they. I was there for three days. I did a talk to the police service there. And then I went off and did a few more other talks uh, to some business communities. And then the the equivalent of their BBC One, then took me in a van and took me on a tour of uh, Kyiv to talk about parking issues and and how bad the parking issues were in Kyiv. And Mm. they did this whole thing around me being followed around in a van and very bizarre, Uh, but I learned a lot. I learned Mm. that, you know, I can be more than just a coach. Uh, And then I started my work within corporates, which is largely what I do now, didn't really start until lockdown, ironically enough, uh, but um, I had also created a motivational event called Ignite Unipotential, which is also mm-hmm. the name of my company. We started that back in 2017. And the, my motivation behind that was I went to a Tony Robbins event, um, which was in London, around about 2015, 2016. I went to, went to it for like two or three years in a row. First year I paid, second to two years, I worked as part of his crew building the fire lanes because they did fireworks. Yeah. Uh, and I learned a lot from there. In in the first year, I got caught up in the hype and I learned a lot from him. He's a very knowledgeable person. But I also found out how everything is about sales. Everything is about money and how manipulative uh, people can be when they use NLP. And he's, he, I mean, the whole Tony Robbins thing is a huge machine mm. that operates. It's not just one man. And I, I, and I thought to myself, I want to create an, a similar event, but I want to do it on a values-based uh, theme. I'm very value driven and values have to sit at the heart of everything that I do. So I created my event, Igniting a Potential. In the first year, it's nothing like Tony Robbins where he gets 10,000 people. We had 70 people in a room. Uh, second year, we had uh, 200 people in a room in a football stadium. The third year, I think we got to 350. And our last event was just before lockdown, and we had nearly 450 people there. So the idea was to grow it every single year and to reach 5,000 people in, in about uh, eight years. I think the goal was. Mm. It's all been shifted now with the <laughs> COVID. We're hoping to run it again next to, next um, January we're going to, I'm going to set an ambitious target of 600 people. Uh, I've changed the location. We're going to be looking at a really prestigious location in Birmingham now, mm-hmm. as opposed to Derby. And, um, and yeah, and, and every speaker, the other thing I decided was I wanted to give back. So whereas Tony Robbins doesn't feed you, you have to feed yourself. And the tickets are like 800 pounds at the cheapest. Our yeah. tickets are 30 quid. But with that 30 quid, you get fed. You get attention. You get, my crew will be personally very, very attentive to every single person that walks into the room. Um, you get sitting, you you sit, you sit around at tables. Uh, it's high energy. There's a lot of bangra dancing. I'm getting a bit old nice. for that now. It's a great, great day. It really mm. is. It's a fun a fun day for the, the, the year. And people often say they keep coming back because it's their injection of positivity for the year. Mm. Um, So in 2020, what happened, of course, we all know that um, uh, COVID and the pandemic uh, hit us hard. Uh, But the way it happened for me was that I had just created my first ever corporate program. I'd been approached by the University of Lincoln to design a program for their staff. Uh, and it was for their BAME staff. And they were saying, we're really frustrated that our BAME managers don't seem to want to go for our senior positions. And we want we want them to apply for them. We want them to be successful. Can you design a program? I said, well, yes. And by that time, I was now accredited with the Institute of Social and Emotional Intelligence over in America. Emotional intelligence was what I found was What I'd been practicing all these years without realizing, now I delve deep into EQ, 26 competency areas, we build on that. So I said, yes, I'll create a a leadership development program, but it will be very pragmatic. It will be based on the 26 competency areas. So they loved it. And I was just delivering uh, the first module. It's a six-module course. The first module is a a two-day module. We'd done day one and everybody was excited uh, and I had just arrived for day two. We'd got an hour into it and then somebody from HR came running in and said, we're closing. The whole campus is closing. Everybody go home. So that was wow. my introduction to lockdown. Wow. And it completely changed my whole business, life, everything. Because since then, I have done nothing but corporate um, uh, work. Um My public speaking program, which I had back then, redesigned that completely. And now it's much, much better quality. Uh, We've delivered it to senior leadership teams in corporate environments. It's gone down well. We now have designed programs for leadership programs for uh, the likes of uh, Health and Safety Executive, Sheffield Hallam University, University of uh, Lincoln, Kent Police, Dobshire Police, a number of police forces, uh, Nottinghamshire Police. We did a lot of work with Nottinghamshire Police, uh, Leicestershire County Council. So largely private sector, but I have done quite a bit of work with the private sector as well. And it just has evolved from that because this year we did our first ever tender for a, a large project, and that was to do a run a culture diagnostic in a healthcare provider of 1,400 staff. That was a two and a half months of hard graft, really. But uh, mm, yeah. you produce a report at the end of that, and uh, let's see what comes from that report. Where mm. we've put in a number of recommendations, and hopefully we're able to be part of the journey of that organisation mm. uh, and helping them to achieve the recommendations.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I think it's fantastic that, you know, the values and the, the skills and experience that you've picked up along the way are all gone to, to create a number of amazing products that, mm-hmm. that there's really a desire for. And people are recognizing, you know, the organizations, be it private or public sector, recognizing your skill set and, and what you've done previously really matters.
0: Yeah, and here's the thing, Andy. I think, by and large, most of the uh, former and serving police officers that I come across have a similar value set. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I'm different. It's just that I've realized what my values are or what I learned from policing, and I utilize that. And Mm -hmm. I think you're you're doing exactly the Mm -hmm. same thing. Uh, And it's a shame that there's only a few of us, a handful, I can name a handful of people who are doing exactly what we're doing. They're, Mm -hmm. They're doing amazing things. Uh, uh, So I guess my message to everyone is don't sell yourselves short. Honestly, the the stuff that you have done in the police service is incredible. Mm. And the the, the value that it brings out in the big wide world in any kind of business consultancy or some of the incredible work that you're doing, uh, it could be life changing.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Spot on. Um, So the... the, uh, Ignite Your Inner Potential, obviously in January, the and that's now accredited. Is that right? That's
0: yeah. So Ignite Your Inner Potential is my annual event. Um, that is more for fun and for that injection of positivity. What we have been doing over the last two years is we have building a series of programs, and uh, I I I think it's very important to to get everything externally validated. So when people buy a program from you, they know it's also been through a, an external respected validation service and it's been given the thumbs up. So we've got a number of our programs that are CPD accredited. Uh, now our two-day intensive public speaking program, which mm-hmm. really came Apologies. about. Yeah. Uh, it really came about because I have seen in the police service and outside of the police service, very, very senior people trying to deliver uh, 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 speeches or to communicate with staff, written or otherwise, and they have been really clumsy. And when you have flawed communication, what that will do in an organization is it will probably create uh, mistrust When you have mistrust because people don't understand your message, when you have mistrust in an organization, then you're going to have a fear of conflict in an organization. People won't speak openly. People won't debate with you. When they don't debate with you, then what happens is then people aren't committed. They're not fully committed to whatever you think you've agreed. And when they're not fully committed, they're not going to hold each other to account. And when they don't hold each other to account, what happens is everybody goes off in different uh, directions. And then we end up with something called silo mentality that we, mm-hmm. we, we've we all seen. So I wanted to create a public uh, – a, a, a program – That encapsulated all forms of communication, from standing on a a stage, delivering a speech, to doing video communications, as we're doing right now, to sitting around a meeting table. How can we be really, really powerful communicators? So I created a program called Create and Speak, uh, which talks about all the public speaking skills. We go into the psychology of public speaking. We go into psychology of fear. Uh, to help uh, alleviate that and uh, you know this whole concept of glossophobia which is 73 percent of uh, adults in America suffer from glossophobia and glossophobia is a fear of public speaking or the fear of speaking. So why should that be any different in this country? I suspect in this country it's even more because we are much more reserved mm-hmm. as a society so if 73 percent of Americans adult Americans fear public speaking then maybe, In this country, we're probably looking closer to about 80%. That Mm. means most people need some form of teaching around public speaking. So I created this two-day program. Then I looked at all the other two-day programs, all the other public speaking programs out there, Uh, and not one. I've come across one or two that are CPD accredited, but out of the very big ones I've been to personally, I've spent thousands of pounds on my own public speaking here and in America. I didn't get accreditation for any one of those. I was one of, in one on one occasion, one of three hundred people in the room. On another occasion, one of fifteen hundred people in the room. So I questioned the valish the value of the teaching mm. that I was receiving. I didn't get any one-on-one time with a person that was supposed supposedly the expert. So I created my own, uh, and we deliver to no more than ten people at a at a go. Um, so we take this into corporates now. Uh, or we will be, because we've only launched it last week, we'll be taking this into corpus, and There's already a couple of organizations really interested, but we will also be running private ones uh, uh, here in Derby for 10 people every single month uh, uh, each year. So the idea there is that uh, individual leaders, their organization or their company might not invest, but they might say to themselves, hey, do you know what? I want to grow, I want to invest in myself, and I want to go and be a really powerful public speaker. Now, we have run this program in a, in a much simpler format. It was a, still a two-day program, and we've had incredible success. We have gone on, gone on to see people who have scored promotions as a result of it, or they've gone and become international speakers. Now it's even better. Uh, and I'm really pleased to say that it's not only CPD accredited accredited, but as of last week, we now have accreditation from the Institute of Leadership and Management, which basically means that if you come on the program and you complete the program, you don't just walk away with two pieces of paper, two certificates. You actually walk away with with, um, initials after your name, postnominals. So you automatically become an associate member of the Institute of Leadership and Management. And that Mm. means that uh, you... Get access to their exclusive networking events. You get access to over 450 hours of uh, leadership development material that they have on their website. You get uh, their magazine, their quarterly magazine delivered to you. You get an awful lot just from having been on a program. Uh, and we pay for you to join as a member and you get that membership status because. That is just about my values. I want to deliver and I want to give the very best that I can. I want people to understand that public speaking and communication is fundamental to leadership. So anybody who comes into contact with me, they have to be really passionate about developing themselves or Mm. their organizations Mm. in leadership or culture. And if they don't, then they they need to go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, it's it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, what a
1: fantastic thing to do, and um, yeah, many congratulations. That's that's Thank extraordinary. You. It really is. That's just a brilliant thing to do. Um, you also host the Human Centred Leadership Podcast as well. And uh, oh, you've had, <laughs> yeah. you had some good guests on that.
0: <laughs> We've had some amazing guests on that.
1: Incredible guests. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Including so, yourself, of
1: course. Well, yeah, yeah funny But that. I mean,
0: yeah. that again is a, is just another example of when you just follow your passion and you just mm. do something and you have the courage, you just don't know where that's going to go, do you, Andy? Yeah. Uh, and we launched the Human Centred Leadership Podcast, born out of pure passion I wanted to have a podcast where I speak to tried and tested leaders, real leaders, not entrepreneurs who are, you know, mm. I'm doing this, I'm doing, but real leaders. So, you know, chair of the Youth Justice Board, I've, mm. I've interviewed Andy Marsh, who currently is a CEO of UK College of Policing. I've interviewed some deputy police commissioner, uh, deputy chief constable from a brand new police force over in Canada, mm. where she said, I am, we are recruiting brand, uh, cops for our brand new police force, but we're only going to, uh, uh, recruit them based on their values, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And they're doing really, really well. We've interviewed some incredible people, a guy who bought a, a company for $1 and turned it into $80 million. And honestly, a, a psychological, a psycho, uh, psychology uh, experts when it comes to teaching and uh, rapport building. Yeah. We have had some Absolutely amazing guests. And what happened with the podcast was that uh, within a a month of it being launched, we had a radio station called uh, On Your Radio Solid Hole reach out to me and they said, we love your podcast and um, we want to make it into a radio show. Well, the podcast is called the Human Centred Leadership Podcast. And they said, well, that's too long a name for us. And in radio, radio, you need to have short names. So they came up with a name, Unlocking Leadership. And what I had to do was re-record two new top and tails. And yeah, I'm in fact, after this, I'm going to upload my next week's uh, episode comes out every Saturday, nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, yeah, I, I I guess technically I can call myself a radio presenter now.
1: It's great, isn't it? But how things can, you know, can snowball. Yeah. And how things are, you know, and I think, you know, with the podcast or the beauty of podcast is that it's just a great opportunity to, to listen to other people's stories and connect and, you know, talk about subjects, uh, you know, their, their expertise in certain subjects, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic thing to do. And it's a brilliant podcast and I have promoted it within the, within the Blue Light Leavers group as oh, well. thank you.
0: Thank and you. And
1: really in, it's uh, it's a, it's a superb podcast. It really is. I just want to go 360. So we spoke about initially also when we're talking about, um, um, you know, not having one voice, within an organisation. So we might look mm. different, but we're all saying the same thing. So mm. just to finish this off, what do you think we can do around and what should organisations be doing, both public, private and policing potentially, with regards to ensuring that individuals speak as individuals, they they have a voice and they're not sort of moulded and morphed into a type?
0: That's uh, sir. So- It's a really powerful question, Andy, uh, but it's a question that I could give you a short answer now, but the the application of the short answer is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's an old saying in Punjabi, to say something is simple, to do something is harder. And uh, and it it is a bit of that. But in very simple terms, um, what I think we need to do now as a society, uh, as organizations, is be brave be brave enough to say that we're not chasing diversity targets because they of themselves, in themselves, by themselves, do not change the culture of our organization. Mm -hmm. Mere representation of X amount of percent of, you know, people of color or women or people from the LGBTQ community or disabled community, mere representation will not change your culture unless unless you allow them to speak from their own experience. And unless you don't recruit those from the same pool that you recruit everybody else from, Mm -hmm. you have to extend the recruitment pool. We have to be brave enough to look into those communities that are more deprived, and look to recruit from those communities because you'll get a whole different take on how the future looks and and, and the conversations that we have in the organizations. Mm. We need to have, I would far rather have a white, middle-aged, heterosexual male who had diversity of thought than to have a brown face or a black face or a female that said exactly the same as everybody else was saying. For me, diversity has to mean something. And the true diversity is cognitive diversity, diversity of thought. And I think that if we were courageous enough to A, extend our recruitment pool, B, courageous enough to have real uncomfortable conversations in our organizations, three, to reshape the way we have meetings where we encourage people, those traditionally quieter people to speak up more, Mm. We'll be amazed at the talent of people and thoughts and ideas that we hold already within the organisations that we serve in. That's mm-hmm. what I think we need to do. Mm.
1: Incredible! Thanks, Colt. It's just been such a great conversation, I really appreciate your time. It's um, yeah, it's just it's, I love your journey, and I love what you've done, and where you're ah, going. Likewise, and, and it's, it's it's so inspiring. It really is, and like you say, it's just that um, it's being brave. It's uh, it's stepping out and and actually acknowledging that, um, you know, we have skills, experience Mm. and, you know, traits that, um, you know, can easily transfer across into so many different diverse occupations and roles and, and, you know, it's really inspiring. Thank you for that.
0: Well, I mean, the one thing I would say, Andy, just in parting is that, you know, I guess we've always been taught that bravery looks like some sort of hero action person uh, that jumps into the fold or jumps into the fire. That's not bravery. That's not what a real brave, courageous person looks like to me. A courageous person is somebody who's got the courage to follow their dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they very often do that very, very quietly. So that's the first thing I would say to everyone. Just follow your dreams. Just mm-hmm. give yourself a break. Follow your dreams. And if you're telling yourself right now, I can't do something or that I don't even deserve to be in the position that I'm in in the police service, Chris, you know, I'm going to get found out and you're suffering from imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. If you think you're unique Suffering from imposter syndrome, you're not. I would say almost all the world is suffering from imposter syndrome because that's yeah. the kind of society that we've created. Completely. Where anxiety is the norm. I suffer with imposter syndrome incredibly, so much. Every single day, I will doubt myself. But what drives me through is passion. So have passion and follow your dreams.
1: Mm. Thank you, Kel. If, um, if people want to connect with you or if they want to find out more about um, uh, Ignite Your Inner Potential, the one day event or the Create and Speak two day event, how what, what's the best way of connecting with you first off? And then how can they find out more information with regards to those two events? Well,
0: We're just revamping all of our websites at the moment, but you can see what we're doing on uh, our main website, which is igniteyourinnerpotential.com. But, um, you know, at this moment in time, I think the best thing is to reach out to me via LinkedIn. So look for me on LinkedIn, Kul Mahay, K-U-L-M-A-H-A-Y, on LinkedIn, and drop me a a message. You know, I'm never too busy that I can't enter a message. I tend to answer, you know, 95% of the messages that that I get.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for your time, Cole. Really appreciate it. It's great catching up. So welcome. So I really hope you found that as inspiring as I did. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to Cole. And um, it just goes to show that we really can put our hands to anything and just, you know, with some work, some time, some effort, we can do pretty much whatever we want to do. So if you like what you've heard, then please share it with some friends. Let other people know that this podcast is out there and um, just share an episode with them that that really resonated with you. And um, you can also leave a review on Apple and Spotify. And again, that really helps to get it noticed. The more people that, that leave five stars, then the more people that get to see it. It's just how the algorithms will work. As always, a massive thanks to Sam from Right Rule Audio for editing my mistakes, of which there are numerous, and uh, really looking forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye for now.